you don't want to take the audience out of the picture ever. You know, you don't want them to ever be distracted. Alexander just reminded me of something I had said a while ago about, you know, you want to work as a hypnotist. You want people to be like just engaged. So you want the, you don't want them to feel the transitions too much. You know, you don't want them to be jarred unless you want to jar them. That's another thing. But you want them to just be engaged in the picture without being distracted by anything. Hello and welcome everyone. Uh, today's guest on the podcast is Kevin Tent, the editor of The Holdovers. Hi Kevin, how are you doing? I'm doing good. How are you, Sylvester? Yeah, I'm great too. Thank you for asking. First of all, let me congratulate you on that Oscar nomination you scored last week. What an achievement. Yeah, it's pretty exciting and it's it really means a lot. You know, everyone always says it, but it's true. It really means a lot when your peers have recognized your work and uh it's an honor. It makes you feel warm inside. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to start with a question focusing on your early days in the industry. Can you tell us a bit about your background and how you got into film editing? Well, I like to say, and it was really true, I found editing and editing found me. I didn't really know really that it, when I was young, I didn't even know it existed really. I didn't. I just had this kind of vague notion that I wanted to work in movies. And I had studied broadcasting when I went to college, when I finally went to college, um, I had studied broadcasting, but that wasn't quite what I was looking for. I, I realized I wanted to actually work in movies. And uh, so then I just kind of, it was so, uh, such not, it's not even such a clear idea, but I just was like, oh, they make movies in California and Los Angeles. Why don't I go out there and, and just check it out? So I was willing to take an adventure anyway. So I moved to California, you know, and then I, kind of fell into it. I went to this local school in Los Angeles called LA City College. I made a couple of short films and I made some friends and I edited their short films. And then I got a job editing. Just really, I went for an interview and I had my short films and I showed it to them and um, I was hired to do these educational films. So they were, you know, nothing fancy. They were kind of, <laughs> kind of lame, but, but I learned a lot on them. And uh, I had to, you know, get them through the lab. They were all 16 millimeter. I had to cut them, cut sound effects, mix them, you know, do all the processes, the steps that you need to make a film. And then I lucked out and I got a job recutting a movie for Roger Corman, who was a producer that has done millions of movies. And he had a studio at the time that was really cranking out a, basically a movie a month. And I wound up getting a job recutting a film down there. And that's really where I started getting serious about editing because, um, you know, they were feature films. They weren't all great, but they were all interesting and you learned a lot. And uh, anyways, then I was like, oh, I'm, I'm actually getting paid to be an editor of films. This is pretty exciting. So I just, I did a lot of those and got a lot of experience and got better and better. And uh, yeah. And then that's kind of how it started. And then I started getting better credits. And then after a couple of years, Alexander Payne was looking for his first editor, uh, looking for an editor for his first feature. And he hired me. His first movie was 
so much fun to work on. We had a blast. And then the second movie was Election. And that movie was like, even though it didn't make a lot of money and it kind of just kind of came and went, it was like, if you worked on that movie, you got a huge career bump. All of us did. Everybody who had anything to do with that. And that's really where I, I would say that things really started taking off. And and since this is your job, have you been able to look at movies the same way as the rest of us do? Or do you catch yourself analyzing different editing choices in other movies too? That's a good question. The only time when I, I just watch, I really, when I just watch movies, I just get wrapped up in the stories and I don't really even pay attention to the editing. I mean, I don't want to say that because I do take, pay attention to it too. But mostly I'm along for the ride and I'm not judging the editing or anything like that. But I, I will certainly be aware if something's emotional and effective and I'll be like, oh, okay, that is really well done. So yes, yes and no. But mostly I don't judge when I'm watching. I'm just enjoying. So I get engaged. If I'm engaged, then I'm not thinking about anything except for the story and the characters. I can I can relate to this because um, earlier this week, I rewatched the holdovers specifically to prepare for this interview. And I caught myself being fully immersed in the story again and not yes. really paying attention to the technical aspects that I was supposed to do. But yeah, <laughs> that's so funny. And that's so true. And uh, that's the biggest compliment you could possibly give. So thank you. Because I think that that's really what you want. Uh, mm. You know, when you're editing something, you don't want people paying attention to it. Yeah, I was I was checking uh, what other people were saying about the movie and um And the Hungarian film critic that I follow wrote that uh, that it feels like the holdovers was never really made, but it feels like that it always just existed. And I think that this must be a, a big compliment for you because it suggests that your work was sort of invisible and not, you know, like uh, plastic or trying too hard. So yeah, is this right. oh, that's so nice. Yeah, is this invisibleness something you strive for? I do, yeah. I do. I think you don't want, I'm always thinking about what you don't want to take the audience out of the picture ever. You know, you don't want them to ever be distracted. Alexander just reminded me of something I had said a while ago about, you know, you want to work as a hypnotist. You want people to be like just engaged. So you want the, you don't want them to feel the transitions too much. You know, you don't want them to be jarred unless you want to jar them. That's another thing, but, but you want them to just be engaged in the picture without being distracted by anything. So that includes pace and, you know, how, if your cuts are jarring or not and that kind of thing. So um, all those things get kind of thrown into the, the mix while you're cutting. And how did you approach the editing of the holdovers? What was your initial reaction to Alexander Payne's vision for the film? Well, you know, we, We kind of approached it like we approach all his movies, and that is really just allowing the performances to drive most of our cutting choices. We really believe that, you know, the audience enters the movie through the characters. So you want to protect the characters. You want to make sure that they're, you know, that everything they're doing is realistic and not jarring. So we we really approached it like all his movies. That's what we do on all of them. So, I mean, we knew we were going to have some montages and we knew you know, that that was going to be coming up. But yeah, you know, again, I just, I'm just quoting Alexander again, but in a, another Q&A, we were talking about that and people were saying, oh, you know, it's like a 70s movie. And then he said, you know, really, we've always been making 70s movies in a way. And that's really true. They've all been about characters. And so, yeah, we didn't really change that much. 
Um, so you were already involved in the pre-production discussions? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, we've worked together for so many years. Like, he'll, he'll go, hey, I'm thinking about this one. What do you think? And he'll send me a script. And I'll say, hey, yeah, that seems good. I mean, almost always, they're great. He has so many good ideas for movies and scripts and stuff that he's got lined up. But when he really is serious about one, then he'll send it to me for my feedback. And I'll give him notes on what I think. And, and that's, that happened with holdovers. Um, he gave me a number of drafts. I would give him comments and stuff like that. And then he would take what he wants out of those comments and use them or not. But uh, yeah. Um, and then we talk about the movie. He tells me, yeah, we have conversations about what, what it's going to look like, that kind of stuff. And then he, I also looked at the, when he was getting the final casting choices, um, for Dom, uh, for the character of Angus, actually, he would send me the various zoom links where they were just, the actor would be meeting. So I saw the different Doms come in, the different Mm -hmm. Angus's come in. So, um, which that was really interesting. He had a he was really struggling over which one to go with, and uh, he made the right choice. There's some good actors. It was a great choice, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's terrific. He's such a sweet kid too, and uh, it's fantastic. And regarding the script, did you keep the end result relatively close to the original screenplay, or did you make alterations or changes, some sort of? Oh yeah, well we kept a lot of it the same. But yeah, you know, the natural process of editing, we definitely cut a lot of stuff out. I think we lost like maybe 40, 45 minutes of other mm-hmm. footage, you know, internally within scenes. And then a couple of places we dropped whole scenes out of the movie. So, but that that's normal. There was nothing abnormal about it. I assume one of your main tasks is to find the right lengths of the movie. And yeah. when I first saw that the holdovers was over two hours, I... Not to lie, I had some doubts about it, but yes. in the end, those 135 minutes like really flew by. Uh, oh, really? How- okay, that's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How much of a challenge was finding this balance here? It's a challenge. It's a challenge with Alexander's movies. I mean, he's such a good director, and he gets such super good performances from the actors, but when he does that, he definitely lets it breathe and lets them do their thing, which is how he gets such good stuff. But then our challenge in the cutting room is trying to make it efficient and keep out of it, to keep the keep it moving. So in, internally tightening scenes is sometimes challenging. We drop lines, you know, anything we can wind up getting rid of in order to tell the story efficiently is is our goal. So yeah, I I too had hoped it had been closer to two hours. I was well, you know, some of it's credits. We got a lot of credits. Mm-hmm. So about five, six minutes is probably or maybe even more is credits really, but so I always subtract that. So it's it's closer to two hours. You mentioned before this uh, style of the seventies, but you that you said that uh, it wasn't really something you were going for. It just how it happened. But did you draw any inspirations, or maybe did you were you given a list of films for inspiration or something? Um, he when they were on set. Uh, in pre-production, they screened a bunch of movies, 70s movies for the crew and stuff like that. But he and I had talked about, we we, we share the same love for the, those kind of movies, like the like Being There and Chinatown and The Godfather and all those movies. We, we were big fans of those. The only one that maybe came up that we talked about a couple of years ago was The Last Detail, which we, we love that movie. 
And we did talk about the dissolves in that movie. There's some super long ones, which, but we've been using dissolves forever. But we did talk about that as something that was so cool in another movie that we saw. Yeah, the whole Louvers uses quite a few dissolves. And, um, and I haven't really seen this technique used too much in recent years, but they look so great here. Um, why did you decide to make these kind of transitions? Well, you know what? We've always used them. We've been using them for since Citizen Ruth, and I was using them even before that, like, a, you know, way back. Um, and you know what? People do use them, but I think for some reason now they're kind of in, in the holdovers, some reason they're popping out. People are taking notice of them. And I'm not even sure why that is because people use dissolves a lot, but I guess because we really built longer sequences with them and we did some unusual ones here and there. So maybe that's why. But um, yeah. For some reason, a lot of people are taking note of them, but we love them. I mean, they're just beautiful and they, they do create this kind of emotion. Like when something's, when you're getting to see multiple layers of the same of, of images, you're getting one image is going away and the other one's coming in and, you know, it's kind of, it creates a, a visceral experience for the audience too, I think. So I think that's why we love them and they're beautiful. They're just, yeah, they are, they are. Yeah. And how do you decide when to use them, for example, instead of a, a regular cut? That really depends what you want the audience to feel. If you want to have them transition slowly into the next idea, the next thought, the next feeling, or you want them to be jumped in, you get thrown in quickly. Sometimes it's just, you're like, oh, this, we would make them up in the cutting room. This will look great if we put this dissolve here. Like I'm just thinking about in the montage where they're getting ready to go to the Christmas party, Angus is shaving and then we dissolve, we had some negative space and we dissolved the Mary and her mirror. And it just kind of just happened that way. It's kind of, sometimes it's just organic and you're just like, oh, that's cool. Let's do that. So sometimes it just happens organically. Sometimes you want people to feel like time has passed or you want them to have some sort of emotional feeling. So yeah, it kind of depends. That's one of the fun things about editing. You're kind of playing around with that kind of stuff all the time in the in the cutting room. You're like, hey, what if we do this? Oh, you know, no, we don't want to do that here. You know, and we also, you know, we were cognizant of the fact that we maybe we were overusing dissolves too. I remember we talked about that. I'm like, maybe we're just maybe they're losing their impact because we're using them too many, too many times. But I think we scaled back on them a little bit. Another key element of the film is the performances. And there is a great mix of experience and fresh actors in the film. Uh, obviously, they all did a fantastic job. But uh, what was your experience? Did you have to dig deep into the takes to find the best one? Or was it more straightforward? It was really straightforward. Let's just use Dominic Sessa for an example real quick. Okay, so he you know, never had been in front of a camera before. This is his very first movie. You know. He was literally a high school senior at the, one of the schools they were shooting at. He's a natural. He's phenomenal. Like, it's it's amazing. And that beautiful take of him talking about his father at the restaurant later in the in the film, um, that is take one. He did three wow. takes. That is the very first take. It's just spectacular. It's just really something else. So that was a thrill. And when you're an editor, that's kind of one of the joys, I think, for me at least, is when you see a fresh talent and you're just like, I'm, a, I'm like one of the first people to see this person. And that's just this actor. And it's just such an exciting thing. 
it reminds me actually of how I felt when Shailene Woodley showed up in The Descendants and she had that scene with George Clooney in the pool. She's just so, and I just remember going, oh my God, this woman is amazing. This, yeah, like, she just blew me away. And uh, yeah, I kind of feel that way when I saw Dom's footage come in. I was like, oh my God, he is amazing. So it's kind of funny. Mm-hmm. I'm not an expert on the topic, but um, I read somewhere that you even made the style of the sound in a way to resemble uh, those 70s style uh, films. Is that right? Yes, absolutely true. It's a mono. It's a mm-hmm. mono mix, which is really something which doesn't happen very often, but it sounds great. The, you know, everything's coming out of the center speaker. There's a little bit of wideness and some music some places, but other than that, everything is right in the center. So, but it sounds fantastic. Like, I don't think anyone, I think people have been liking it. So that's how it used to sound in the old days. And then, and then we did it just as, just for a little gimmicky thing. We added some pops and cracks at the beginning, which is what used to happen when there was an optical reader on the projector. So for those who know film, which is, you're so young, you wouldn't remember, you wouldn't know that, but uh, I started out in film. So I remember it very well that what a projector sounded like and negative dirt and positive dirt and all this stuff it's amazing what we how we work now it's just incredible mm-hmm. recently my co-host has uh talked to the film cinematographer Igor Brill. Ah, um, oh, yeah 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 did a beautiful job yeah yeah and and when i was listening to their conversation it struck me that the holdovers was actually not shot on film yeah. but Can you share how it differs for you to edit a film uh, on film versus digitally? Well, I never (laughs) want to go back. Let me just say that. I mean, film was, uh, you know, film was a big pain in the butt. You had to like, I mean, it was a lot of fun too. It was was super violent and it was, you were always moving and you were chopping and taping and stretching and, you know, it was all kind of great. That was, you know, that was a lot of fun, but it was also noisy and you can do so much more now with digital. You can like, you look at your dissolves, you can just do them right there in the computer. In the old days, you would have to take a China marker and go, Oh, I want it to be four seconds long. I think it will look good. You, but you never knew until you got it back to the lab. So, you know, there's just, there's no going back, but uh, it was, I'm so glad that I, was part of the crossover as the industry changed because I, I think there was so much value in it. And it was, it's just nice to have known, you know, what it was like beforehand. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, no, I, I, and I love digital too, because when you were on film, you had to just, everything was so expensive. You would only get printed takes, which meant if they shot seven, they only gave you three of them. And you were always wondering, well, what's in those other four takes? Maybe that's exactly what I need right now. But, and then you have to call it up to the lab and it costs money and it was all a big deal. Like I love just getting everything so you can look at everything and decide, make a decision on what you're going to use. So I don't know if you, did you realize, did you know that that's how it used to work? Because it was so expensive to print things. They would only, you would only print. That's sometimes in old movies or something you'll say, that's a, that's good. Print it. You know, and that meant that you were going to get the editors were going to get it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, but that meant you might only get two takes out of seven or something like that. And you're always wondering what's in those other ones. So a lot of people are, are going back to shooting on film, right? Yeah. Some, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. Well, we didn't because, first of all, you can just shoot so much more. You can just keep the camera going. And also, they were in a lot of tight spots in cars and stuff like that. And these new cameras are just so compact and they can just get them in anywhere, which is amazing. It's fantastic. A film camera would be noisy. It would be big. Mm-hmm. You know, and you can only shoot for so many feet and then it, and it, you have to reload. So um, I actually heard Igel say this at a Q&A too. And he said, you know what? If, if we were really emulating a low-budget film back in the 70s, they would have shot on whatever was cheapest and whatever was most efficient and all that. And so he said digital would have been the, the choice, which is, that's interesting. About a week ago, um, I had the pleasure of talking to Marcelo Zarvos. He is the composer of May, December. Um, uh-huh. And when I asked him about uh, who he worked the closest with, he said that apart from the film's director, definitely the editor. And music is also quite important in the holdovers. Um, can you explain your role in finding the right songs and vibes in terms of the score and the soundtrack? Right. Well, the, the, there's there's kind of like three kinds of music in the holdovers. There's the source cues, which are the 60s cues and 70s cues. And those are just fun to kind of play with. And we had hundreds of them in all the places that we wanted, you know, wanted music. And it winds up just becoming a thing of what, what we can afford because it gets music gets so expensive. So like, you know, in the in when they go when Angus and Paul go have a burger and they see Miss Crane, that all the music through there, that was a lot of fun to pick out. And then we and then in the avid we have, you know, I don't know, 60, 70 choices each one cut in. But again, it comes down to how much things are going to be. The other type of music we have is Mark Gordon's score. And that came to us, we had worked with him on Nebraska and Richard Ford, who's our music editor and kind of music producer fella, he, uh, he's worked with us forever since the election. He gave us ideas of what he thought would work, like temp tracks of Mark's score that we dropped in in places. And then when Alexander said, yes, Mark Orton's the guy, he starts working with Mark for the score. That's the second type of music. And then the third type of music we have in there is the Christmas music. And that, you know, it's a Christmas movie, comes out of Christmas, so that makes sense. But that became a, a really solid genre of music that we used. And that part of that was due to Mindy Elliott, our associate editor. Um, she was the first one that imported the music, the swing, uh, the Swingle Singers, which is those acapella group stuff. And we started using more and more of that um, I think she cut in the very first piece, which worked great. And then we started, uh, because it was ironic at times, and sometimes it was emotional and poignant, we started using a lot of Christmas music. And that wound up being a big thing for us, another genre of music. So we had 60s, 70s cues, Christmas music, and Mark Borden's score, three different kinds of music. So, And then we just kind of jumbled them all together. Were there any specific big challenges you enjoyed tackling regarding this film? I think probably the biggest thing is, you know, keeping it well-paced so it didn't feel too long and keeping it moving. Yeah, that was probably about the biggest challenge, I think. There were a couple scenes that were tricky, you know, because we dropped sections out of them and lines and stuff like that and that's always a challenge because then things have to you have to move you know, make sure that people don't realize that you just cut out 
a paragraph or something like that. But I would say the biggest challenge was keeping it well paced so it didn't feel too long and you know uh so the audience stayed engaged i wanted to ask you if you already have a new project in sight maybe you're working on something or will in the future uh i don't have anything just yet but uh i hope that alexander he's going to start working on something and i hope that that's going to come and start soon so that we can join forces with his movie again that's what i'm hoping That would be great. <laughs> yeah, it would be good. Is there maybe a specific uh, genre or type of film that you would like to try to edit in the future? Well, you know, I've done a lot of different types of films. So, um, you know, I haven't done any big... I, when I was younger, I did some action, you know, martial arts type movies and stuff like that. I guess something like that would be fun to do. But I kind of like... I kind of like the, the genre I'm kind of in, I guess, you know, I guess you could say it's comedies and dramas and there's nothing better than working with actors. That's one of the fun things when you're an editor to work with their performances and kind of shape them and stuff like that. It's the best. So, mm -hmm. but you know, I don't know. Editing's so great. Every movie's different. So I'll do what I'll do whatever comes up next, you know, and be happy to try it. So you said that um, if Alexander Payne uh, will come up with a new movie, um, it will definitely be in um, if he asks you. Yes, if he, I hope he does. I hope he does. <laughs> Having worked with him for such a long time, um, can you share some insights into the dynamics of how your collaboration has been evolving? Yeah. So a lot of people ask that too. I guess I would start with he's a really... He's a great person. He's really so much fun to be with. He's hilarious. Um, he's also very generous and really um, collaborative and like wants to hear what you think on stuff. And over the years, I think we just are, you know, we're just, we've become friends. So it's like going to work with your friend. It's not even like going to work sometimes. It's just like, uh, okay, we close the door and then go to work and don't even, I don't even think about what we do exactly or whose idea is what we just kind of like start kicking stuff around and just keep on refining and trying to make the movie better. So yeah, there's, I don't know what people keep asking. I, I really, we just go to work. Mm -hmm. We just like, here, let's go to work. And then we just sit down and go to work. Well, I think uh, our time is, is coming to an end. I really appreciate that you accepted our invitation to the podcast. It was it was such a pleasure to have you here. Well, it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. And how are things? And you're in Budapest. Yes, yes. Um, I'm in Budapest. It's actually great. Uh, I think we have a couple of good-looking Hungarian movies coming out in the oh, that's a couple of months. So yeah, yeah. I was there for... once. Very short. Mm -hmm. You shot a scene for a movie I was working on, and I flew in had a laptop and I was cutting the scene on the set and uh, it was super fun and super intense, but I always wanted to come back. It was beautiful. Yeah. If you... It was, it was cold. It was winter time. When was that? I guess it would have been late, maybe early December or something like that. Many years ago. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, if you're ever coming back, yeah, yeah. we are lucky to have you. <laughs> I'll hit you. I'll hit you up. That would be great. That'd be great. Yeah, then until your next job, enjoy your time off. And uh, I'm Thank hoping you. we could talk in the future as well. Let's do it. Sounds yeah. good. 
Thank you, Sylvester. Thank, Thank you very you. much. Thank okay. you. Bye-bye. <laughs>